Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, we're going back to Jude, the little epistle right before the book of Revelation. And I'm not sure if I can close this out today, the study of Jude, but we, we may. But I want to read, and, and I'm not sure what message or what version you have, but I'm going to read primarily from the New Living Testament today and from the message because they just, the phraseology strikes me a little different. Starting in verse 17, I'm just going to read all the way through the entire passage from the New Living Testament and then from the message. New Living Testament reads this way, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus predicted. Before I continue, let me just set the stage. We have had from Jude warning after warning after warning after warning. And, and I've said this through the whole series, and I just want to reset it again. We can, when, when we read that, being human beings, we always tend, when we hear something negative, we want to say, okay, I know who that applies to, and, and you'll start picturing people because it probably does apply to them. But when we read this, remember, the book of Jude was written to Christians. It's written to me. And this is Jude saying, you need to watch out for these things in your life. Because while, while what, what Jude has described are people, in, in, in some senses, they're completely retro, reprobate. And the, the real um, danger that Jude was writing about were different sects, S-E-C-T, of, of people who called themselves Christians, but they had completely abandoned all morality. And their, their, their basic theology was, I am saved, I am holy, I'm complete, I'm going to heaven, therefore, I don't have to do anything. God's love is unconditional. God loves me unconditionally. Therefore, it does not matter how I live. And I'm going to tell you, we are right back in the days of Jude today. That there are church, there's church after church after church after church that have Christian on their title, in their title, in their name, and they, they, they say exactly that. In fact, I, I used this, this thing the other day. There were three types of churches. There, there's the, the, the completely liberal church that said, God loves you, we accept you, you don't have to change. And then there's the legalistic church that says, God loves you, we won't accept you until you change. And then there's the true church that says God loves you. He accepts you, but you do need to change. And, and what not added there is he will empower you to change. He is the God of the universe. He gave up everything. I mean, everything he had was he gave it all to redeem us. We owe him absolutely everything. I've heard people argue for, for 40 years in the ministry. I've heard them argue, should you tithe, should you not tithe? Well, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. No, it all belongs to the Lord. All my money, all my stuff, every minute of every day, every thought that goes through my head, 
my entire being belongs to me and everything that I own, He owns, and it's all His. And I need to, to commune and figure out what He wants me to do with it and about it. We, 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 we get in these little, I don't know how, how to describe it, these little narrow lanes where we want to compartmentalize everything in our lives. There's no compartmentalization with Jesus. He requires everything of us. Total, 100% devotion. Now, with me saying that, I can assure you, you will never live up to that. You cannot live a 100% completely devoted life to Christ because you still have a fleshly body. You still have the nature of sin in that fleshly body. Inwardly, you're the real spirit man. You are totally holy and rechanged. You look just like Jesus. But your flesh will drive you to do things. That's why Paul said what he did in Romans 7, the end of Romans 7. Oh, what a wretched man I am. But at the same time, he was used of God. So when we read this, we, we need to look at this is the solution to not fulfilling all the things that Jude has already described to us that we shouldn't do. So Jude 17, let me go back and start this again. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last days there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. And this way you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you into great joy into, or bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. I love the way that reads, but I love it even better in the message. Let me read this, and you can follow along in your bulletin if you wish. <clears throat> but remember, dear friends, that the apostles of our Master, Jesus Christ, told us this would happen. In the last days, there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. Boy, we live right there in the middle of it right now. They'll treat them like a joke, make a religion of their own whims and lusts. These are the ones who split churches thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them, no sign of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life. Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Now to him 
who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in His bright presence, fresh and celebrating, to our one God, our only Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Master, be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time and now and to the end of all time, yes. I'm telling you, if you, if you can't read that and you're not ready to whoop it up, you need to check your whooper because that's a, that's, that's a blessing right there, especially after all the stuff that Judas warned us about. But I want to go back. Let's look at 17 through and 19 um, <clears throat> in particular. He says, Dear friends, remember, or my dear friends, you must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers. That, that immediately when I read that, I thought of 2 Peter 3.3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their own desires. And then if you read on past in, into verse uh, 4, he says, um, oh no, I'm sorry, That's in the, this is the message translation of, of 3 and 4. He says, first off, you need to know that in the last days, mockers are going to have a heyday, reducing everything to the level of their puny feelings. They will mock. That's... Verse 3, scoffers will come, and one of the things they're going to come with is, guys, you've been predicting for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back. Don't you realize that's just a lie? He's not coming back. You've just bought into a, an ancient myth. I hear that all the time from, from secular people. It's just a myth. It's just a story that, 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 that it sets a good example because Jesus is a good moral teacher. No, Jesus is not a good moral Well, He is a good moral teacher. But He's not just a good moral teacher because He also claimed to be the Son of God. He also claimed to be God incarnate. And He's either God incarnate or He's crazy. And if He's crazy, then everything He said is false. And if everything He said is false, then He's not a good moral teacher to follow. He either is who he is or he's a liar. There is no in-between. Well, I choose to believe he is who he is. He is the Son of God. And he did do what he did. He went, conquered death, conquered hell, rose again, and just laid the whole, his entire kingdom at our feet and said, come on in. And you think of the, of the, of the temple and the, the tabernacle of Moses and all the rules they had to go through. And yet... Before Jesus, when David went and got that tabernacle and, and brought it to Jerusalem, he made one huge mistake. He followed the, the um, Philistines' practice. The Philistines stuck it on a cart. They didn't know anything, which, which offers a question. How did they get it on the cart? Would they not have to have touched it? And yet when Uzziah touched it, God killed him. How did the Philistines get it on without touching it? God did not expect anything out of the Philistines. They were ignorant sinners. They were not Israelis. But he expected more out of Uzziah, even though Uzziah or David or even the priests didn't know they were supposed to be. They had lost that knowledge. They didn't pay attention to the written word that they had. And so they were ignorant, but that ignorance cost that man his life. And then, so David pulled it aside to, I think it was Obed-Edom's house, 
and said, I'm not taking this thing any further because, God, you, you're, this is not right. You shouldn't have done that, which is really smart when you argue with God. It's not an argument you're going to win. And then finally David went and did some study and figured out, you know, God spoke to him, hey, uh, we, we just screwed up. We shouldn't have been, had that thing on a cart. In the meantime, Obed-Edom, man, everything he's touching, he touches turns to gold because he's got the presence of God at his house. Well, think about that. He had the tabernacle. We have the Son of the living God on the inside of us. How much more should our lives be blessed than Obed-Edom's? And yet, when, when, and this was my point, when David finally went back and got the tabernacle from Obed-Edom's, he brought it into Jerusalem. He did not set up the tabernacle with the fence around it and obeyed all the rules. He took a tent, which we would call more like an awning. It just screened the sun. And he set the ark in plain sight. That's David's tabernacle. And he said, anybody that wants to come to God's presence, y'all come. And it was open to everyone, not just the high priest. And the ark was open for everybody to see. And God's presence was available for anybody that wanted to partake. And it was a picture of David as a as a, a type of Christ offering salvation to the nations. God said, this is what it's going to be when the Messiah comes. David, it's going to come from the house of David, from the house of Jesse. And David is a type of, of, of Christ, even though David was a very flawed man and a very vile sinner. Jesus wasn't, but David was a type. Types don't always match perfectly the person they represent. But when Jesus came, when he resurrected, we're living in the tabernacle of David time. It's an open invitation. That's what what Jude is trying to get across from us. Yeah, there are scoffers out there, but we're not one of them. This is not a joke. You need to take it seriously. And and if if we don't constantly um, remind ourselves of that and constantly talk to ourselves about that, that spirit of the world will get off on you. It'll start to penetrate you. You hear things over and over. Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister of of Adolf Hitler, said it perfectly in the 30s. He said, you tell the lie big enough and often enough, people will begin to believe it. And we see that all of the time today. People will, will, will companies political movements, just individuals. They'll hear something and they'll just repeat it. They didn't go check out to see if it was true. It just sounded good to them, so they say it again and again, and it gets repeated and repeated and repeated, and suddenly everybody believes it. And every time I hear everybody believes it, my mother's voice is in my head. Well, if everybody jumps off a bridge, you jumping with them? I mean, I I don't know about you, but how many times did you hear that in your childhood? They were great words of of wisdom in there. Just because everybody believes it, in fact, usually if everybody believes it, you can pretty much guarantee it there's a real problem with it because everybody is usually wrong. The reason I know that, the Bible says narrow is the way to salvation, broad is the path that leads to destruction. So most people won't get this. You have to be open to it. But when when it says that these people will, will, will be mockers and scoffers. It also reminded me of James. And, and if you really want to do a study, 
Study First and Second Peter and James and Jude all together because they're all speaking to the same audience. They're speaking about the same problems in our world, and they, they all complement whether, and some of them, I mean, Jude's only got 25 verses. You can't put a lot of theology in there. Well, there is a lot of theology in there, excuse me. But you can't list every answer to every problem. Well, James hits this problem about the scoffers and, and, and us dealing with the scoffers in James 4. Verse 1, he starts this way. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Boy, if that doesn't describe our day and age, everybody wants to fight and quarrel and argue and fuss about everything. And it doesn't matter. I tell you what, Trump could get up tomorrow, and I'm, I'm not trying to be political, but that's, boy, a lot of the fights just revolve around that very name right there. And, and I've said it before, I'm not a, I voted for Trump, but I'm not particularly a big Trump fan or a big Trump supporter. I, the, he drives me crazy at times. But I look at the results, and I'm seeing some really good results in the first two years of his, of his administration. doesn't mean he does everything perfectly. He doesn't. But he's also not my savior. But my point is, Trump could get up tomorrow morning and declare that the sky is blue and the sun is shining. And his opponents would say, Dear God, do you not know that it's dark and cloudy outside? And the sun could be shining brightly. It doesn't matter what he says, they're going to fight. Well, we are in that very war. It's very visible with Trump and his political opponents, and we need to be really careful about jumping in the thick of that war because we're not called to fight over politics. We're called to declare the gospel. And if my politics hinder me declaring the gospel, my politics need to take a back seat. Amen? Just a little word of wisdom there. But James just described our world. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. Now you want to sum up politics? There's politics right there. They, they desire what they don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. And I've often heard it said about different politicians, right and left, the, the most dangerous place in Washington, D.C. is between this guy and any camera that's turned on. Because they'll run you over. They'll slit their own mother's throat to get to a camera and get their face on the news. Why? Because they're scheming and plotting to get what they want. Not necessarily what's right what they want. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And then James gets really nice. You adulterers, Actually, if you read that in the Greek, it's, it's, it's in the feminine um, gender. It should read, you adulteresses. Not because he's picking on women, but because he's talking to the church, the bride of Christ. It's addressed to us. Remember, James, once again, just like Jude, is addressing his letter to the church, to Christians. He is not talking to Joe Sixpack here. He's not talking to the average sinner on the corner of the street. He's talking to Bible-believing Christians. And he says, you're adulterers. 
Don't you realize that, now this is hard. This is hard, folks. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? He's not talking about going out, whoring around, getting drunk, robbing banks. He's talking about just being a friend to the world system makes me an enemy of God. Wow. That's a line that I really want to be careful with right there. And how many ways am I friendly with the world? How many, think of it this way, how many influences, worldly, secular influences, do I allow to come in my eye gate and my ear gate and that I end up repeating out of my mouth? Remember, we just read over before when we were praying for the sick, Psalm 103, verse 20. O you his angels, who heed, take heed to his word. The, the greatest unemployment scandal of the, of the millennium is that most of us have legions of angels that are just waiting for us to give them an assignment by speaking God's word, and they're completely unemployed. They haven't done anything in years because we never declare what God's word says about our lives. And they're just sitting there when we handcuffed them. And we, want, and we just cry, woe is me. Why is life so rough? It's rough because you're not doing what you need to do. Now, I'm not saying, in fact, quite the opposite is true. I'm not saying that if, if life gets hard, that it's because you're not declaring God's word. You're in a fight either way. Just your only chance of winning is when you declare war back on the enemy and declare God's word. James says it again. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. A lot of translations will say He's jealous. That the Spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him. And He gives grace generously. This is not a problem that God's not offering His grace to us. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, this isn't humble in, in your position in life. This is humility of the heart. We said it earlier. God gave everything for you. He expects us to return that same favor, bow our knee and humble ourselves and live life the way He says to live it, not the way, let me just be frank, not the way your pastor says it ought to be lived. When you get to heaven, if God says, why did you do this? And you say, well, Pastor John preached this, and I, this is how, what it was, I was supposed to do. God may look at you and say, you should have checked out what he said in your own Bible, because he was wrong. Well, brother, are you wrong? <laughs> All the time. Now, don't, don't, take, don't take that to an extreme. I study to show myself approved. But I also know that my theology is not perfect. And my understanding of the Word is not perfect. And God requires you to take everything I say and go to your Bible and check it out. Is that really how it is? And is that assignment that he preached about today, is that really apply to me? Because I've, I've seen over the years, you see you have an evangelist come through your church and everybody's called to evangelism. You have a prophet come through your church and everybody should be a prophet. 
You have somebody that, that's anointed in the gifts of healings and they come through your church and everybody should be laying hands on the sick and, and watching people get up miraculously healed. Well, some of those things, we ought to be laying hands on the church. We ought to be getting people saved. But we don't all stand in the same function and we don't all have the same job. My point is, you have to take the Scriptures and judge everything according to the Scriptures. Amen? Do you not think the Scripture has no meaning? They say that God is passionate or jealous that the Spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him, and He gives grace generously. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The first sign of pride is I'm doing it my way. I haven't prayed about this. I don't have Scripture on it, but this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. Well, you better slow down, back up, pray about it, seek the Word. Do you, have, do, you have, do you have Scripture that you can live this way or do these kinds of activities? Because not everything is, is well, Paul said it, nothing is sin to me, but not all things are profitable. Just because one person, well, I'll give you an example. We're all called to go and evangelize. If I'm an alcoholic, God will never call me to evangelize in a bar. Never. I can say that with some authority. Why? Because that's a temptation that, that, that and I, I said never. That you should never say never. But the chances are, if you're feeling, well, I need to go in there and witness to people. It's what Jude was saying. You, you be, be gentle on the sinners, but you, you drag them out, despising the clothes, the garments that are tainted by the flesh. If you have a weakness in that area, you let somebody else evangelize those people, and you stay away from that, those areas where you're weak. Amen? Just because someone else does it does not mean God's called me to do it. We all have different calls. We all have different strengths. I need to find where my strength is and go there and minister there. And then verse 7. If God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. <laughs> it's not real hard. The, the, the writer said in the Old Testament uh, to Joshua, choose you this day. To, you know, I set before you life and death. Choose life. It's better. Death hurts. If God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, then I want to be humble. Then he re follows that up. It's not just about humbling ourselves, but I also have to resist the devil. And when I do, he's going to flee from me. I need to draw close to God, and God will come close to me. Notice this. We are the active part here. Well, wait a minute, I thought God, God initiated all this. God's already initiated it through Jesus. And God now says, it's your move. You want to be close to me? You move close to me and I'll move close to you. You resist the devil and I will help him, I will make him flee. Wash your hands, you sinners. He's talking to Christians. I thought we were the righteousness of God in Christ. You are. But Jesus took his disciples who he said were clean and still washed their feet because they were walking on dusty roads. We have to walk through a sinful world and sometimes that sin will get off on us and it'll try to attach itself to us. Jesus walked through that same sinful world and sin could never attach itself to Him. He was made of Teflon. We need to coat ourselves in that same Teflon. 
And occasionally, when we see signs, that's what Jude is saying, these are the signs you need to watch out for. Are you starting to enter into some of these things? If you see those signs, you need to go wash your hands. And washing your hands means you run to 1 John 1, 9. Lord, I've sinned. I am a sinner. I'm not free of sin. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And when you do, He is faithful, and He will cleanse you of all sin. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. We need to to make ourselves humble. When we find sin, we need to wash our hands. We need to lament. We need to take sin seriously. Because it will drag you down. It will drag you down. There's an old, old movie, um, and I can't remember the title of it now. It was, um, um, had Patrick Swayze in it, he, uh, Ghost. And it was a ho- horrible movie, horrible theology. There is one scene in that movie that, um, and it's where the bad guy, and, and the, 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 the horrible theology is that Patrick Swayze was a good guy, so when he died, he went to heaven. And this bad guy who was a murderer, it shows his death. He gets hit by a car, and it knocks his spear. And I love the, the way they visualize this. It, it, he, that car hits him. His spirit goes flying out. He dies. And he's standing there looking at his dead body and wondering, well, this is weird. But then suddenly out of the pavement, these black figures come up. And they grab him, and they start dragging him, and he starts screaming, and they drag him to hell. Now, the reality is, Patrick Swayze, when he died, had he not accepted Christ, and there's no indication from the movie that he was anything near a Christian, they would have dragged him to hell. I don't care how good a life you live. If you haven't accepted Jesus and his sacrifice, you're going to go to hell when you die. It's because you rejected his gift not because you were a bad person. Hitler will not be alone in hell. But I love the visual part of that. They drug that man to hell. We need to take sin seriously. Amen? Because it may not... I know I'm born again and I am safe. I'm preaching the other side of of the being safe in Christ card here. While I am safe... I don't want to depart the world early. I don't want to depart the world before my job's done, before my call's finished. When I get to heaven, I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to get there and have him say, welcome home. We got your house over here. Kind of modest, but it'll be okay. Now, true signs of humility, go back to Jude, verse 20. But dear friends, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. If we want to be humble, we are going to have to build, New Living Testament says, build each other up because it says yourselves. The message in in most other modern translations says 
But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, we have come to, to, to recognize that praying in the Holy Spirit in the modern American church, that's praying in tongues. Praying in the Holy Ghost has become a technical term for praying in tongues. I believe in praying in tongues. Your private prayer language, you ought to pray in tongues a lot. We all ought to, to passionately pursue what Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. But I don't believe that's what this passage is saying. It, it, it can be praying in tongues, but even more importantly, it ought to be praying empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I will tell you, for me, the most important function of praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, is to pray until I get the will of God to pray it out in English for my own life. And maybe for other people too. I don't know. But, but I, when I do that, it doesn't give me faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. That's from Romans 10. But it does take the faith that I have and it builds me up. It's like a weightlifter lifting weights. Now, we don't, as Christians, we don't lift weights to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But our natural work ought to give us strength. I had a friend in the church where I was associate pastor. He looked like he worked out eight hours a day. He was huge. He had this massive chest, massive arms. And everybody thought he went to the gym constantly, and he didn't. He never went to the gym. But his job was to sort and cut rebar to certain specifications for uh, his company. They sold rebar in the Louisville area. And so his job was to, every day, he had rebar all the way from like an eighth of an inch thick to a half inch, three-quarter inch thick, and they were in 50-foot lengths. And he would grab one, two, three, four. It hit the, he'd been doing it long enough. He was big enough. He could grab half a dozen of them. And he would flip them like you'd whip a rope. And in whipping them, he would move them off of the pile and over to where he would cut them. And he would drag them and set them to length. And for doing that for 20 years, he had this massive muscular body. He got strong doing the work he was called to do. That's what Jude is saying. We build ourselves up on our faith by doing what God said. And our primary mission is to pray God-inspired prayers. That's what praying in the Holy Ghost is. If you're praying in tongues, I guarantee you, your, 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 your prayers are God-inspired because it's the Holy Spirit praying through you. But we ought to also be praying Holy Spirit-inspired prayers in English. When somebody comes to us with, with a, a, a need, I'll tell you, one person I admire greatly, sitting right there, Mike Allen. Don't look around. I have never once ever told Michael Allen when we were talking privately about a physical complaint that I had that that man hasn't said, that's it, stop talking, and he'll lay hands on me and he will pray the word over me. Never once has he failed to do that. And I'm impressed by that. I don't do that. And I'm your pastor. Half the time I'll get home and Gina will say, well, what happened today? And I'll tell her something. She said, well, did you pray for that person? Like, no, I did. Mike does it consistently. That's what Jude's talking about. Every time you're presented with a challenge, pray God's word. Pray, find a scripture. 
Either no one, that's the best, to have Scriptures ready in hand. You know it well enough. You know what fits the need, and you pray it, and you believe it. But even if you don't know it, go look it up. I mean, how many of you have cell phones? You, you, you've got Bible apps. You can do searches. You can do Google searches. Now, I don't trust every Google search, but it will at least give you some, some places to look for Scriptures. Get a scripture that fits the situation, and then start declaring that. And then I'm going to finish with this, and we will go. I will finish the very last of this, starting with verse 23 through 25. We'll have to go next week. But in, 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 in doing this, keeping the mercy of God, I love the way um, the New Living Testament, verse 21 of Jude, says, await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. And this way you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Um, the, the, the message, if I can find it because they split theirs different. He says, um, praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right in the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life. How do we do that? Well, one way we do it, James 4, verse 11 through 12. He told us before when we looked at James, be humble, don't be proud, resist the devil, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And then in verse 11, he says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers. First thing he goes to is shut your mouth. When you, and that was my dad's, well, that was, I think, the 13th, the 12th commandment, or the 11th commandment was don't shave on your day off. But the 12th one is shut thy mouth. Just shut up. Sometimes we just need to clap our hands over our mouths and say, just shut up. Quit talking. You know, the first rule of getting out of a hole is quit digging. Well, as Christians, our first rule of quit digging is shut your mouth. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you, or to, in more particular, to apply to others. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, you can't run off with that because I've heard people, well, you can't tell me that my lifestyle is sinful because you can't judge me. Jude just said, take sin seriously. Be merciful and gentle with the sinner, despising the sin. We can call sin, sin without criticizing the individual sinner. It comes down to presenting them with hope. And say, look, I know you don't think that, that, that you're doing something wrong. You are a free moral agent. You can live your life however you want to. And I'm not going to judge you. But your life and your lifestyle will be judged someday. Jesus has offered grace and mercy freely. And I pray that you will accept it and, and just let Him describe to you how your life needs to be led. And then pray for God to just dog them unmercifully. I've prayed for, for some of my relatives that I knew weren't saved. And my number one prayer is, God, I don't care where they turn. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to hear about Jesus. And there, it's out there enough. 
that he will bring it to their attention. I've used the example <clears throat> when, when uh, my, my wife was pregnant. Suddenly I saw all these pregnant women everywhere. I never noticed a pregnant woman in my life. And it's like, what happened? Why did everybody suddenly get pregnant? Well, they didn't. I just become aware that there are pregnant people in the world. And when, 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 when you have an event in your life, you will find out that's not uncommon for a lot of people. Suddenly you start noticing it. Will you pray that prayer over sinners? God, everywhere they turn, they're going to see Jesus. They're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to be presented with the truth of Jesus. And they'll start noticing. God will put it across their path. And he, if, if I've prayed too, God, if you have to, invade their dreams. Do you realize I've heard hundreds, of, not hundreds, but dozens of testimonies of Muslims in the Middle East that have woke up in the middle of the night and they had a, a dream about Jesus. And they, they, they know they, a friend that they kind of suspect is a Christian and they'll run to him and say, I had this dream and, and, and I think it was about Jesus. And they'll ask about it and the friend will say, yeah, I think that's Jesus. You want to know more? And they'll explain the gospel to them. And they're getting saved. Because when God moves on you, suddenly you have that choice. It's, it becomes obvious. It's like the light bulb goes, out, goes on. There are times when, when you have those earth-shattering, totally life-changing moments where that light bulb goes on and it's like, how did I, never not, how did I not see this? It's, it's so plain now. It's so clear now. That's where that God-inspired prayer comes in. And it, we have to give it to Him. I can't, I can't do that for people. I can't make everywhere they turn. But I can believe God to do it. I can believe the angels to unmask the blinders that are on their, their eyes. Now, that's one you'll have to pray constantly. Because you pull the blinders off someone's eyes who doesn't want to see something, they will snatch that blindfold back and put it back on sometimes. So you will have to repeatedly strip those blindfolds off so that they can see the truth and pray that they don't get hardened because that's a possibility too if they make the wrong decision too often. Amen. Today's theme, humble yourself. Draw near to God. He is the one. We're going we're gonna to end up in verse 24 and 25, let me read those last two verses to close, and we'll go into more detail next week about that. This is from the message. Now to him who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating. Wow, that's a lifestyle I want right there. To our one God, the only Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Master, be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time, and now and to the end of all time. Yes, amen. I want that. And if I humble myself, if I draw near to God, if I will pray God-inspired prayers, stay hooked up into the Word, that can be my life. Even in the presence of overwhelming trials and trouble, I can have His bright presence and be fresh and celebrate in the midst of trials. And that will be a witness to the world, believe me. Because most people don't understand that. They don't understand celebrating in the midst of pain. But we can do it because God is with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, 
we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.